I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Celtics seek revenge for the shame game of 1974 in the Champions League. Windows will sham shut across Europe tonight. And there's the small matter of the Glasgow Derby this Sunday. So over the course of the next 10 hours, we'll try to work our way through all these topics as best we can on the Huddle Breakdown. I'm Enda Call. Alan, James, you're with me as always. How are you? Good. Are, are we competing with Sky? Or are we going nonstop for the next 12 hours? Is that what's going Or was it? No, what is it? What time is it? Seven hours. We got seven hours left. Is that what it is? About seven hours. It uh, shuts, shuts, shuts. It absolutely slams shut at uh, slams. 12 o'clock. It slams. Slams shut over slams the next... Like a, uh, like a slammy thing. Yeah, I haven't got my yellow jacket. Slams. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> Look, it is a busy day, as always, and there are a lot of nervous heads out there. We're going to start with the transfer window because I put a question out on the Twitter page earlier on what people would like us to talk about the most out of the three topics we do. We will talk about the Champions League draw later on and we will talk about the Derby in depth, but we want to start with the transfer market because we're nearly at the end of it. I'll run through Celtic's transfer activity over the course of this summer and then we can get into the topic and into maybe what needs to happen over the next couple of weeks or a couple of days um, at Celtic. So the transfers in for Celtic confirmed are Mike Navroski, Louis Palma, Gustav Lagerbielka, Udin Thiago Holm, Hyun Yun Yang, Marco Tilio, Hyuk Kwon, Tomoki Iwata came in, uh, Nathaniel Phillips has joined on a loan for six months. And in the next couple of hours, hopefully Paolo Bernardo from Benfica will be confirmed as a signing loan with an option to buy including on the ends this summer is Kyogo, who signed a new contract. Maeda signed a new contract. McGregor and Abada, as of today, is set to sign a four-year deal with the club as well to keep, him at the, to keep him at the club for the next four years. Well, whether or not he'll actually be at the club for four years or not, it doesn't really matter. He will be signing a new deal. And talks are still ongoing with uh, Rio Hatate, who looks set to be signing a new deal as well. Out the door is Jota, who joined Al Etihad, Kyle Starfelt, who went to Celta Vigo, Connor Hazard, Vasilius Barkas, Vasase Urdegide, Liam Shaw, Adam Montgomery, Aaron Moy retired, Ismail Asaro has left the club as of today, and Albion Ejeti looks to be at the door alongside Said Haksabanovic, who is set to leave the club as well. Brendan Rodgers all but confirmed that today. So that is the transfer activity for Celtic this summer. 10 players in so far, Alan. 
maybe a couple of more coming in before the end of the transfer window today. Brendan Rodgers, a bit coy in his press conference. In the press conference uh, today, he said that I don't expect many more to come in after Bernardo is confirmed. But about an hour earlier, he spoke to Sky Sports and he said that though, uh, the areas that they wanted to improve, they've been able to do that and there is still confirmation for more players to come in. So there will be a couple more names, maybe one more name before the end of the window. Um, overall thoughts on the transfer um, yeah, window kind of as a whole? At best, I would say. Um, you know, what were the problems that had to be solved? Um, you know, we saw, we well, We've not been happy for a while that, you know, is Joe Hart the best goalkeeper that we can get? Um, other qualities for sure. Pre-season alarm bells are ringing as regards just as seeming sort of physical and athletic decline. Um, a couple of decent performances in the last two games I don't really, haven't really, um, you know, soothed away those worries, to be honest with you. And we don't look like we're you know, even remotely even looking for a goalkeeper, to be honest with you. So that's a big disappointment. Um, the other area that I believe the manager wanted to strengthen was the left-back area. Again, we've talked about that. You know, it looks like Bernabe can't be trusted from a professional basis. Never mind uh, performances on the pitch. And, you know, we've talked about Greg Taylor and his strengths and weaknesses ad nauseum. So that area, again, it, it looks like um, the club put all their eggs in a basket that of hope that somehow Kieran Tierney was going to end up back at the club. Um, that obviously didn't happen and there doesn't seem to be any backup plan um, to resolve that particular position at all. So at the moment, as it stands, there are two glaring weaknesses that have not been addressed. Um, the goalkeeping one in particular worries the hell out of me. I mean, you know, if we just have to remember back to Alan McGregor's performances last season, in terms of you know how many points will this cost? How many goals will that will we concede that, that are avoidable because of that? Um, you know, it it shouldn't be a tight title race based on you know resources and all that, but it it, it may well be. And and with other variable factors that we know about, you know, adding a adding a a, a less than agile goalkeeper into the mix is just you know one too many risk factors that could have been avoided. Um, and then in Europe, again, as we've said before, success against much better resourced teams has tended to come with exceptional goalkeeping performances. And can you see Joe Hart pulling off eight saves in, in, in Madrid I, I, with the best will in the world? I just don't I just don't see that. So, again, our chances of getting next to the wall extra points, coefficient points and money and progress in Europe is probably reduced by those weaknesses as well. Um, I think on the positive side, I think this, I, I really like the centre-half business. I think um, Lagabielka, Navrotsky, as much as we've seen him, and Nat Phillips, I think are all really sensible, smart uh, buys. I think I think net-net, they're upgrades as well in terms of what we had. So that's good. Uh, the fact that they're all injured or unavailable is unfortunate and probably, not, you know, just the way that things go. Um, I'm, I'm kind of okay with the likes of, I don't, I've never seen Tilio play, but Tilio home were both relatively kind of cheap young players that we hopefully will see, see more of. Um, Luis Palma seems to profile quite well. Um, I'm, whether he's up to Jota standard is, is yet to be seen. And, and Yang's been quite promising as well. I think, that, you know, Bernardo, I mean, as Roger said in his press conference, 
you know, he was very, he was, you know, he said it himself, he's a young kid that they're looking to develop. So that didn't sound like he was getting a, you know, ready-made, you know, midfield experience sort of player that's, that's going to, you know, raise the level in the Champions League. So, you know, all of that, um, add in the fact that, you know, we've been a bit slow in getting rid of players. That was the other one of the other problems on my to-do list that I wanted to see resolved, is getting players out the door. I think, again, it's been mixed mixed success on that one. So, you know, and then the, the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, are we, if, if we're not, if we're not in a better position to win the, the league, given what's at the end of the season, which is a massive uplift in Champions League money and direct qualification, if we haven't strengthened to better make that a higher probability, that's unforgivable. Um, if we haven't strengthened enough to compete more in Europe, that's just really, really disappointing. And and, and, and I'm not convinced we, we, that we have, frankly. So overall, yeah, I would say that's, I have my doubts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems to be the general feeling across at least what we're seeing on social media, although, again, I'll stress that's not a very good barometer, but reading Celtic fans' reactions to this transfer windows and in replies to our tweets and comments on YouTube every week, it does seem like most people are worried about the season. Now, I'm going to be the optimistic one in the room, even if it's just to move forward the conversation a little bit here, James. I think what is wrong at the minute, and certainly the disconnect, I feel is one of the issues is the lack of trust between Celtic fans and the Celtic board. That trust was the bridge between the Celtic fans and the board was bridged by Ange Postacoglu when he was at the helm, because when he came in immediately, the players he brought in clicked at the club. They looked sensible. They were good players. It was Kyogo. It was Hitate. These players made sense. They improved the team and suddenly Celtic fans had a lot of trust in the process of what Celtic were doing in terms of the players coming in. Ange Postacoglu is no longer at the club. Now it's Brendan Rodgers, who was at the club previously, left the club in a bad way. And that trust is not there anymore in how things are done. Now, can I put forward an argument to you, James, that if Celtic came away from this transfer window with three new centre-backs, three new centre-midfielders, and three new wingers, albeit they didn't improve the goalkeeper and didn't improve the left back. I'll take that as a as a loss for this window. If Celtic did that with Ange Postacoglu at the helm, I think people are looking at this transfer window in a completely different light. I think you're probably right. Um, or at least I think that's a reasonable, plausible, hypothetical. Um, that's not to say that that view would be accurate. <laughs> I think the perception would probably be um, better. And and um, I think y- you can't divorce the level of performances that we've seen so far this season from this discussion, meaning that it's not as if we're in, in an abstraction of, you know, deadline day and seeing some of these wish list items that we're not maybe you know, we're petulant children not getting our new Xbox or whatever. Um, so the fact that we've not looked all that, um, you know, good, <laughs> to put it simple. Uh, and I would argue for most of preseason as well as the early games, 
um, in the league and then obviously the big loss to, to Kolmarnik. So I think that's important. Um, I, 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 I lean towards what Alan's saying, but let me, let me start with the positive. Um, the first positive is you are a linguistic talent. And uh, I mean, you rattled through those names from all different nationalities. And I mean, the, even with that Irish accent, I mean, the, the, the rolling off of Korean names and, Swedish names and I mean it's just you're 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 a true pro. Um so that's the first positive. The second positive is I think Nat Phillips is about as good as we could hope for given the circumstances. I mean I that was a pleasant surprise. Um you know, not that he's a world beater, but I think he's of a quality that, you know, is is very um impressive given that this was likely not planned and kind of a reactionary type of situation. So I, that's, that's really good news. It'll be interesting to see how he adjusts. He hasn't played all that much, yada, yada, yada. You know, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, um, crucify him if he doesn't have a great Sunday. I mean, it's a pretty tough situation. He's probably going to get thrown into, um, but I think all, all things equal. I think that's been a good signing. The other part of this is that, you know, part, part of what Alan and I do, and, you know, I can't speak for Alan, um, 100% on his process. But when, when you create an analytical framework, what that does is it allows you to have, you know, consistency, intellectual honesty and consistency. So it's not as if we're, we're um, throwing haymakers just to be a-holes because it looks like we're not going to sign a keeper, right? So, you know, I've spent basically a year and a half laying out an argument, documenting it, saying up front why um maybe i'm wrong that's fine hopefully i am um but to me going into this season with joe hart as number one is is you know borderline gross negligence like it's it's that level of bad decision making in my view like that's what my analysis and that's what my frame framework so to me that he's such a fulcrum here uh, and I've done a couple of threads on this, like the, the, the pendulum here could sway. I, I've said this before, but I, I don't think um, the gravity of it is, is uh, uh, you know, appreciated enough is that we probably scored 21 goals more than we should have last season, roughly, you know, give or take, maybe, you know, maybe the model's not great, but let's say with a swing of three, three or four goals. So somewhere around 15 to 20 goals, um, just because opposition keepers were abnormally bad against us, not because they're bad, bad keepers, but their distribution of being bad was weirdly tilted towards it being against Celtic. And that's a completely uncountable thing that you can model or expect. It just happened. Right. So if that, you know, so we scored something, I think it was 77 goals in Rogers last season and about 22 goals of that meaning 114, I think we scored last season. That's a huge difference, 30, 37 goals. About 21 of that was because of the opposition keepers sucking last season, right? So it's these kind of things that I look at when, when you start stacking up risk, just out of randomness, we might score 20 less goals this year just because, you know, Kilmarnock's keepers aren't as horrible against us as they were last season. Um, so when you have a controllable risk, like an old keeper who's clearly in decline, who's was not at a shot stopping level when he arrived at Celtic for what we should be striving for. And is now in the point where he's 
really not <laughs> at our level. Um, you know, to me, it's it's a, it's kind of absurd that it, it may not get addressed. Um, so to me, I, that was a, 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 a focal point of my priorities and then what I thought the club should address heading into the window. If that's not addressed, I mean, I can't change how I view that now. I mean, I like got still my view. Um, I think it's consistent that, you know, I, I, I stick with that and the facts haven't changed. Like I, I don't, if anything, things, you know, to Alan's point, things have gotten worse. <laughs> like it looks like he might be declining faster, um, than, than we might had hoped otherwise. Um, the other stuff, you know, it's, it's a lot of, it's going to just be speculation. We won't know until the proof's in the pudding. The stuff I do on profiling ahead of time, not real positive on total. Like some of the players have, you know, Holm and Yang have aspects that are very promising, but are, are they likely to be in that Jota, Carter, Vickers? I mean, that's kind of what Alan and I have talked about is, you know, the idea here is to build a platform to start signing three or four of those kind of players in the window uh, to improve, to raise the bar as far as the quality of, of players to compete in Europe. And I think we're, I don't, my view is that has not happened. Maybe it will. Uh, maybe some of these players will come good. Um, I don't think that's likely. That's, I think it's less likely than likely that that's going to happen. Um, so I, you know, given all of that, I, right now, you know, and again, we got six and a half hours left here. Maybe something material changes. Maybe they do sign a keeper. Maybe they do sign a really good left back. Um, maybe the guy from Benfica is a world beater. Maybe, yeah. I mean, you know, it's tough to profile him. Mean, he doesn't have a lot of, a lot of history that's uh, quantifiable. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think I was hoping to see more reliable upgrades of of quality signed and the keeper position. And so far in my view, we haven't done any of that without maybe Navrosky is the one that you could say, okay, well, he's maybe fits that category. Mm -hmm. I think I do agree with you. I think goalkeeper is one position where I'm very disappointed that Celtic haven't improved things left back. I think you can make do if necessary, with Greg Taylor. He was fine last year. He won a treble last year. And I know you're not improving, but, you know, we're not, we're not talking about a position that is, you know, going to be at fault for Celtic falling down into fourth or fifth place. Like, Greg Taylor was very solid in the Champions League last year, you know, but they, I think, watching Celtic's first-choice goalkeeper, who seemed to be Dominic Livakovic, uh, go to Fenerbahce, for six million, I think that's where it stings because that is a player who was in reach and was in price range, and Celtic didn't go and spend that money. And um, one of the things that Celtic have been accused of this summer, Alan, is sort of bargain uh, basement buying, and you know, looking for the the one to two million player instead of going for the six to ten million player. Now, I'd have tweet slightly about this earlier on that some people were annoyed at. I wasn't having a go at the fans. That's not what I ever try to do. I'm never trying to purposely wind anybody up. But Albion Ajete is leaving the club after a couple of years of absolute nothing. Nothing. Celtic signed him for five million and he was due to be Alton Edward's replacement. For five million, Celtic signed him. They're selling him now for 500,000 and he was an absolute flop. So when you look at what Celtic are trying to do with the lower uh, fees they're trying to find value at that amount of money so that you can spread across the risk across these 
lower fees rather than taking the punt on the guy who's costing six to 10 million and is absolutely useless come the end of it. Do you think Celtic should be aiming more towards that? Because I think what people need to understand is when you aim more towards those higher fees, that brings in a lot more competition when it comes to uh, clubs across Europe. And I'm not even, I'm not talking about like English clubs or Spanish clubs. I'm talking about clubs in Netherlands, in Belgium, in, in Austria, in Sweden, all these different leagues that are actively seeking to buy these types of players are, are involved in it and it becomes so much more difficult. So I'm willing to cut the club a little bit of slack when it comes to not buying in three to four players who are worth six to 10 million. Um, but I'm not sure a lot of people are. And I, I don't know how you feel about that. Like, do you think Celtic to progress need to be doing that now? Because my opinion is they're not ready to do that now. The systems aren't in place to do that now. And the quality of people at the club to look at these players and scout these players and find these players isn't to a level where I'd be happy enough to trust them with that amount of money. I think that's the key issue. So, I think you need to avoid any sort of model that's absolutist and that we just rigidly you know, adhere to just because of one time we bought this player and they were rubbish, right? So, so I'll, I'll, Yeah, I'll, well, I'll, that's true because one of the, sorry to interrupt, uh, one of the things that I was accused of was, oh, so Celtic should never buy a player for six million or seven million ever again. That's not what I was saying either, so... No, no, that's right. Sorry, so ultimately, you, what we want the club to be is we talk about, you know, structure as we talk about being, being modern and these are quite sort of big phrases, but what does it actually mean? You know, it means having good information. It means having good contacts, good relationships across the world of football, access to good quality data, good quality analysis. It means having good quality people to be able to use those tools and to come to good decisions based on them. And, and a good sort of um, management structure such that that information flows back and forth in terms of what are the requirements, um, what have we found, how do we filter it, how do we get to a decision, all of those things, which is, you know, effectively how organizations are effective or not, you know, holds true in football as well. Um, and and, and in, that, in that sense, I don't really care whether we're buying 18-year-olds or 30-year-olds if it's the right decision, if it's a smart decision, and it makes sense for either, hopefully it makes sense economically as well as footballing, but sometimes you might make a trade-off. You might buy an older player um, who you're not going to get any resale value, but the upside in terms of solving a problem or what have you, like like Joe Hart, you know, two years ago maybe it was the way that you you might have viewed that. So to me, there's no one answer here as to what is the right thing to do. I do feel like this this summer the club have almost stuck rigidly, very inflexibly almost to this idea that we're going we're going to go after these sort of nineteen to twenty three year olds in roughly that sort of one to five million market, and and you know we're going to really te- you know almost mark ourselves on how much we sell them for type of thing in in three or four years time and i think there's a place for that and 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 you know there may be some successes that way you know as i say yang home both show shown some promise there lagerbielka as well um maybe that and and i think there's an element of, of, of having that but sometimes like you say you know even ajax for example bring through all these young players but they'll bring Danny Blint back to the club because that just makes sense just to have this guy in the team, you know, playing this role, 
in the dressing room, on the field, etc. So there's no one right answer. Really, I don't judge these things on have we spent 15 million, have we bought this number of teenagers? I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, is this a good decision? Does this make sense from a footballing perspective? Does it make sense from a sort of grow the, grow the club perspective? And I think what James and I, I think, are agreeing on is that you know our issues aren't with buying player A or B. It's it's are, are all the things I talked about at the beginning of that, which is have you got the best tools? Have you got the best people? Have you got the best structures? Have you got the best communication systems? Have you got the best decision makers? Are they all in the, Are they all run, you know running to the same to the same agenda, etc.? All of those things. It's all very well, as I say, having the operational blueprint, having the structure chart. It might look brilliant, but if you've got idiots running it, it all falls down, right? And and at, at the moment, as I say, I just don't see that we're behaving like well, how smart football clubs behave. Uh, and, and I know James can probably chime in with a lot more authority on on what, what exactly we mean by that. And and, that, and that's the feeling, really. You know, yes, okay. So we've got Mark Lowell, and we've got his knowledge of the City Group and the contacts that that comes with it. But Mark Lowell isn't a scout. I don't, he's not even really a football person. He's a manager. You know, so is that the right person to be running recruitment? Uh, it, it, there's probably a role for someone like him in that you need someone to actually run it and operate, be the operations manager and, and manage the team. But who's making the decisions on the players? Who's 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 cranking the handle on the software? Who's, who's, who's setting the filters? Who's setting the criteria? Who's deciding that... The, and interpreting what Brendan Rodgers wants into how does that look like on a screen? How does that look like when I watch a video? How does that look like in the data? Have we got the best people in to do all that? that that's where I'm not sure. And I don't think we've got even got a clear vision of what that looks like um, because it just seems to be so many more clubs behaving far smarter with far less resources than Celtic. Um, and these, what is frustrating is that these are all things that don't cost as much as buying football players. And if you could just invest in the right things, we could save ourselves an awful lot of money on buying dud football players. That's really the point we've been trying to make for for, for, for years now, actually. Yeah, I I do take that point. I, I completely agree with you, but I'll um, I'll raise you a certain different point. Um, there are clubs across Europe that are smarter than Celtic, that are less financially strong as Celtic and that operate in a much smarter way transfer wise let's throw Brentford into the mix or Brighton into the mix but they're obviously in a different world now financially but let's use Alkmaar or uh, Malda they weren't when they started they weren't weren't when they started (laughs) this is true right but what I'm the point that I'm going to make is that it is so much easier to be that type of club when you are not the expected winner of your league by a long stretch, you can take risks, you can make changes, you can fucking completely overhaul your system with new players, new men, new scouts, new, uh, you can invest in data, all these things, right? Celtic are expected to win the league year after year after year after year. They've started the league campaign this year with what is it? Uh, Two wins, a draw, and a loss in the in the league cup, <laughs> and chaos. So, give it give it a year, two years, three years of Celtic being slightly less active in the transfer window, not really competing all that great in the league, 
you know, but at the end of the day, we're overhauling these systems. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hold water. The fans wouldn't accept that. So I think it's much more difficult than people imagine to completely change the systems that are in place at Celtic in the Scottish League. I really, really do. And people probably think Peter Lawwell is coming to knock on my door and have a cup of tea with me later on because I've been so sympathetic to the board at the minute. But I just, I would rather Celtic were in, in that kind of place. I would rather they were be able to bring in all these players. But I do have to accept there, there's a little bit of reality that is at play here as well, that it's just not as easy as people think it is. I so I to me the the um the character and I'm not this is not um you personally on it because I hear this a lot that oh you know um you think this is easy of course it's not freaking easy right I mean this is a competitive industry uh amongst you know hyper competitive people like the people that are in sport are predisposed to be competitive you know uh generally um, and you know, the, the idea that this is going to be some kind of easy thing is ridiculous. Of course it's not, but th- this is why doing things like proper benchmarking, um, and assessing decisions and grading them. And then, do, you know, as I like to call it, you know, doing decision attribution, try to figure out what decisions are good decisions and why. So for example, let's talk about a jetty. This is a good example uh, where we're just, you know, it's like the definition of insanity, doing these things over and over again, right? So we entered arguably the most important domestic season in at least a generation, um, seemingly with a plan to go 3-5-2 with, you know, someone with dubious character and track record in Lee Griffiths as a cornerstone of that strategy. And then when he went, you know, belly up, not surprisingly, uh, and again, the human part of this, lockdowns, pandemic, all of that's true, but you're still counting on someone who hasn't been a world-class professional. So you go out and you get a jetty um, nominally to play in a 3-5-2, which actually kind of made sense at the time. And then we never play 3-5-2 <laughs> with, with a jetty. So now all of a sudden he's supposed to be the Edward replacement as, in, a, in a single striker system, which probably never made any sense to begin with. There's no coherence. And then we're we're recruiting Shane Duffy to play as a high line center back behind Scott Brown who at age 36, right? These things never made sense to begin with the way that they played out. And that's my it's not that Duffy was a bad player, it's not that Ajedi was a bad player. It's not that Barkas is a bad keeper, or was a bad keeper, it wasn't that Joe Hart was a bad player. It's that is there coherence in making these decisions? Is there strategic um, coherence to how these things are playing out? And this is where we go back to the appointment of Rogers in a lot of ways made strategic sense, but it sure as hell didn't relative to the current squad. And we're seeing that. So now that introduces all of these friction, frictional costs of, okay, where's the pace and power, (laughs) right? Well, that then highlights this issue of how good was the recruitment before? How good has the recruitment been, period, relative to – because at the highest level, for us to punch above our weight, above and beyond even the player trading model, which is the one that I think a lot of people talk about, and reasonably so, if you benchmark, we've been pretty pathetic relative to our, our peer group in Europe. Um, 
is the strategic leveraging of that player trading. Not only making money off of it, but how much is it making us a better club as far as performance-wise? That's where the I think there's been a lot of falling down um, because of the relative incoherence, chopping and changing styles of play, and you know, um, different, you know, continuing this kind of manager as god model where we're going for the manager is the focal point of the the strategic direction of the club. And, you know, that comes with all of these costs on every time you change managers and, you know, and this will we'll transition into the, the champions league group. But if you look at Feyenoord, Feyenoord have not been a progressive well-run club. And yet they've over the last, uh, I started my benchmarking from 2013 fiscal 2013 forward. And if you, I had done it up through 2021, but if you add the last two windows up until now, and again, I don't know what fine Art's doing today, but as of yesterday, um, they were about 60 million ahead of us in total player trading profits. Okay. Over that period. I mean, that's a lot of money and they just won the Dutch league and they're a pot one team in the champions league. <laughs> right. So, well, you've, you've, you've got the Dutch toss I, there, though, because, I mean, we've we've brought up time and time again that the reason that Celtic aren't there is because you see players who are look, – look at the English league. There are 18-year-olds who have played five minutes of senior football going for $35 million, and Celtic sold their best player last year for $25 million. I mean, the Scottish tax is holding Celtic to, back. To a, a degree. It, it really is. No question. Can, so as with almost everything in life – you know, a, a good way to fail is to keep making excuses and feel sorry for yourself, right? So yes, Brexit wasn't helpful, although in a way that's created a strategic advantage for Scotland um, to be a window into into England. So you know, this is what I've said: this this the the risk of doing a a, a copycat version of one of these models, which is what I think we're trying to do. It seems like with you know, I, to me, it makes no sense, but. Uh, we're trying to do a mini city financial group in a certain way, uh, at least from a rec- recruitment perspective, without their network of scouts, without the talent level of their network of scouts, without the resources that they have. It, it, you know, w- w- we need to have really smart people at Celtic come up with a specific Celtic version of progressive modern innovation. Um, and we keep having that strategic direction being dictated by a 70 something billionaire whose thoughts on football are from another century. Um, so that's the reality of what, and, and that, until that changes, probably we're going to keep dealing with these issues um, because it, it, you know, as they say the you know, what flows downhill. So we are 34 minutes into the 10 hour long podcast and we still have to <laughs> seven. Come on. I'm on. Well, my my union contract says no more than seven. <laughs> uh, we still we do want to talk about the derby. So Alan, I mean to sum it all up, what like, I mean I, I I'm I'm very to- I am torn. I will say it. I am torn between whether or not I think this is a good transfer window. I think only time will tell, which is probably the most annoying and cliche answer. But I mean when Celtic brought in and and they brought in I think it was sixteen players or something in that transfer window. And granted, a lot of them were 
pretty shite and will no longer be at the club fairly soon. But a lot of them were very good. I mean, we didn't know what really what we were getting off Kyogo, except for like everyone from in Japan were, was telling us that this guy is really good. Uh, the same with Atate, same with O'Reilly, same with Maeda, same with Abada. Like there were a lot of risks in there that we didn't know about, and then all of a sudden, wow! All these players click in the system that we're playing, and you can say the same with. Jota, I mean, Cameron Carter-Vickers was one of the biggest risks of all. This guy was out on loan to about 50 million clubs before he came to Celtic. Never made inroads at Tottenham. Why didn't he make inroads at Tottenham? He came in and he's Celtic's best best centre-back. I mean, so I still am willing to give all these players like Marco Tilio, especially we haven't seen this season, uh, Lewis Palma, who is by all accounts going to be quite good. Um, I think Holm has shown a lot of uh, talent so far in the little time that he's played. We haven't seen anything of Quan really in centre midfield. There are a lot of players out injured still and Brendan Rodgers is still implementing these plans. I'm still willing to give this thing six months before I say these players aren't progressing us, these players aren't going to bring us forward because I think we've seen in the past to write all these players off because you don't know them is probably a mistake. Yeah, and, and as I say, I'm not certainly not doing that and your usual rules apply in terms of giving players the time, uh, getting the minutes and getting gathering the evidence before really commenting on, on their performance because we simply don't know. But my point is we shouldn't be in a position where we simply don't know. You know, Celtic are, are such a predominantly, um, you know, financially powerful club in Scotland and with guaranteed Champions League income. And, the, and listen, the good news is, the good news is, you know, we reference some of these clubs that are smart around Europe and, you know, the Altmars and the Brightons and so forth, but the vast majority of clubs are not, right? So the good news is there's a huge amount of waste um, and latency and and, and um, inefficiency in the system still, which meaning that, you know, you can pick up a Garter Vickers for relatively small money because of the likes of Tottenham, I mean, you know, are, are hoarding these players who actually have got a lot of qualities and never, and never get near the first team. So that's the good news, but we shouldn't be here you know, wondering, will these will this squad be good enough to win the league? We should have, you know, we should have had the the resources to be able to bring in players that were that were, we're all going. Wow, he, this guy profiles really well. You know, I'm, I'm not, you're never going to be a hundred percent, but you could get to sort of seventy, eighty percent of like, yeah, I think this guy's going to be going to be pretty good. You know, like like you would with a you know a Kyogo, and I know that was slightly different in terms of local knowledge. So 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 I don't I don't think that I don't think that's. I don't think that's, uh, you know, I think it's fair to, to question that. That isn't to say, that isn't to doubt the guys that have come in. The point is we simply don't know. And it's the don't, it's the don't know bit that I'm objecting to, not the fact that some of these guys could actually be, could actually be quite useful. As I say, we just, we just don't know yet. So no, not, not writing any of them, uh, any of them off, you know, the bits that I've seen of Yang and Navrotsky and Lagerbielka, you know, to, to pick those three out, especially actually been quite, Quite pleasantly surprised and quite optimistic, but listen, we we have to we do have to put on the table injuries. As I've said many times before, you know, Celtic, the last team in Scotland that should be whining about injuries, given the number of players that we've got, the financial advantage we have over the rest of the teams. But you know, you've, we see it over and over again. It is disruptive, and it is it can be fragile. You're trying to implement a new style. You don't have you, you know. That defence that we finished the game against Johnson, Rolston, Lagerbielka, Scales and Burnaby, I mean, oh my God. 
you know, do you, do you, did we really think we would be starting the season? And, and, and in all likelihood, we'll be going to Ibrox with that defence on Sunday. Yeah. Well, Taylor, Taylor. Well, no, no. I mean, seriously. I mean, there's there's, there's a significant chatter that Phillips isn't fit enough to play tomorrow, right? So, so you know. But listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter tomorrow. Listen, as far as that, my thoughts on that are concerned, is you know, this isn't on Rogers. Okay, he didn't he didn't bring this injury crisis that we've got amongst key positions. He's put his trust in the club to provide him with the players. That he can then take Celtic forward with. That's, he's been very clear about that. Um, has he got quite the depth and, and, and experience that he wanted? I suspect not. Again, you know, he probably took the job hopefully with eyes wide open and on how this would work. So anyway, to, and so tomorrow to me is not. You know, Sunday is not is not on him if it doesn't go well. All the pressure in that game is on them, not Celtic. All the pressure, right? Bills. Failed to navigate to the Champions League. That's an enormous. However much you'll see it being spun about how brilliant the Europa League is and how much money it will generate, it's a massive fallout, fall off in 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 revenue for the club um, by not making it. It 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 also means that the run that he's got, where I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's won a meaningful game, like a real high profile meaningful. I don't think he's won a single one. Right, and that that that's that, so all the press. And, and if you look at their team, the players that are performing well and that, are, that got them through the first the Servette uh, experience was the players that were there last season, right? All the new players, especially the forwards, in massive doubts as to that and you know how much money they've, they've spent on them and what what they may offer. And again, it's early days, but we're eight eight days into the season. I couldn't tell you what front three will be on Sunday for them, because it could be any three from six or seven players. We just don't know, right? So it's an interesting it's an interesting game. All the pressure's on them. They've been very, they've been very good domestically, defensively so far. They've given virtually nothing away. Um, I think their average XG per shot that they've given away in three, three four league games is something like 0. 0.5. It's 0.05. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 3.05 is extraordinarily low. Um, we've actually been pretty good. To, I know we've not scored in two games, but actually we've been generating a lot of shots, a lot of XG in all of our games. But of course, our defense is a huge issue because of, just because of personnel. So you've got a misfiring attack against a dodgy defense, <laughs> is, is the way I would characterize it on Sunday. Um, and and there's so many unknowns around new personnel. I don't know how it's going to play out. You've got to add in no fans, obviously, and that, that will have a massive impact. I mean, that's just such a must be such a bizarre environment to play in for a professional player. To, to you know, the referee will have no. Uh, support <laughs> Celtic decisions. There will be no support from anyone to back up any Celtic divisions that get they get held for, etc. Whereas you've got fifty thousand people you know screaming every time the ball hits somebody in the box, etc. So all of that, right, is 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 against Celtic. So I'm not expecting much, I'll be honest with you. But I think tactically, you know, there's a lot of a lot of unknowns. And what what was interesting as well is that sort of last kind of point on this is that even though that I think the, the the Rangers have been given very little away domestically, their defence did not scale well to Europe. They've given up way over nearly one and a half XG every game in the four Champions League qualifiers that they've played against middling middling teams. Okay, so um, they actually actually their attackers look more comfortable playing in the European games. Funnily enough, they don't seem to cope well with the low block. So so maybe they'll 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 do better at. Uh, on Sunday, but um, you know their defence did not scale well to good quality opposition, really badly actually. So I think there's an awful lot of conundrums. But I'm I'm as, I'm as chilled as I can be. The injuries are what they are. I can't change that. Um, and as I say, all the pressures, all the pressures on Mickey. Mm. I think um, somebody I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but basically the narrative changed that exactly the right time for Celtic really that PSV game couldn't have come at a better time for Celtic and for Brandon Rogers going into this game because you know they get absolutely hammered in Europe destroyed by PSV in Europe a calamitous defensive performance and then Celtic announced two new signings um, about 24 hours later and suddenly the narrative between Celtic being disastrous and walking into a nightmare of a season and a derby match to come and away to Ibrox this weekend that changes immediately from from absolute dire, you know, really nervous Celtic fans to actually, you know what, they're useless as well. We could actually definitely get a result here if if the if things start to click. Before we move on to the the derby game, um, I do want to thank today's show sponsor, and that is uh, Dermot Desmond and Peter Lawwell. Um, 
your uh, support is very much uh, welcomed in in, in my uh, mansion of a house, and I can't wait to see you before for tea later on in the show. Um, no, right, we'll move on to the derby match this weekend because Alan, you've already referenced it there. I thought uh, Brendan Rogers was quite interesting today in his press conference overall, but some uh, conversations around the performances so far this season. He was asked about the Kamarnock game, of course. And interestingly, he said that the speed of the game wasn't what he wanted at all. Uh, position of the game needs to be improved. Um, they've already looked to improve the things that they felt went wrong, which, I mean, is referenced there in the speed. And he thinks that um, they're only going to get better. But one interesting thing um, that I found was that up until now, Bren Rogers has been quite subdued, I felt, in the press conferences. And people are almost wondering where his swagger has gone but he was asked about um, the struggling performances and he was quite strong in his rebuttal that he said that he is absolutely no doubt that he knows how to win. He knows what it takes to get a win and he'll show the players how to win. He said, it might not be the first game of the season, but over the course of the season and over the course of my time here, I believe that we will do that. It's just in the little details, what we will improve with the players as we move forward yada 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 but he was very very strong in that answer that Celtic are going to be more aggressive be quicker be more powerful and be more attacking and also win so I thought that was um, quite interesting from Brendan Rodgers um, uh, James I'll throw this question to you how are Celtic going to get at Rangers this weekend and I'll start with a very obvious one and that is by getting behind James Travenier every single time they go at them yeah, so that that's to, to Alan's point on um, their back four, assuming they play a back four. Uh, which again, I I I probably had uh, I I don't think I've had a, a derby match going in where I've it you know had really no clue as far as what each manager is going to do. I, I think it's very unpredictable. Um, I mean, I uh, converse with some uh, a. a a basket of uh, analytics focused Ranger supporters on Twitter through DM at times. Um, well, you are one yourself, of course. So. Well, of course, latently. Yeah. Secret. Um, so I've, you know, I've asked them, you know, what, what, what is Beal doing? And I don't think they have much of an idea either. Uh, I think the plan was that they were going to start kind of narrow, almost like a four, four, two diamond, four, two, two, two red bull kind of, um, you know, uh, set up given their recruitment and they kind of gotten away from that with Montando now seeming to feature and that kind of thing. So I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, selections, a whole nother thing where, you know, we've had our uh, fun with, with uh, Mickey and his selection issues at times in the past. Um, so I, I, it's very unpredictable. Uh, at least that's what my view is. I, I, I'm disheartened to hear Alan's comments on because uh, I hadn't seen that yet on on Nat Phillips' um, likelihood to play because I, I think that is a material issue. Um, I'm so I'll be curious to see how pragmatic Rogers gets. Meaning that if I'm Rangers, I attack and press high aggressively and try to squeeze the game big time in our, in Celtics half. Um, if it's scales and lager bilk and, um, presumably Taylor and, and Johnston, then, you know, that, um, scares me, <laughs> particularly the, the central three in that equation. 
Um, and I agree with Alan on Lager Bilk. He's shown some real positive signs, but I, I don't think he's stress tested at this level with that level of opposition in a high press um, playing the way that presumably Rodgers would want to in a build out scenario. So, um, so I'll be curious if we try it, meaning that uh, I'll, I'll be concerned if it's okay, we're going to stick with plan A. You know, it's the old saying, but if plan B is to do plan A better. Um, then that scares me a little bit if, if that's going to be our back four or back five. Um, but yeah, we, we should absolutely be able to create chances. I mean, I, Tavernier is, you know, again, even the, um, the smarter, uh, Ranger supporters that I interact with, I mean, it, it's become a, uh, a, a joke with them as well. I mean, it's just, he's, his defending is blaring and glaring in, in it's lacking at that European level. And, um, we've certainly got the attackers and the speed and uh, the skill to to test that. Um, so, and Barisic look like looks like he might be out. Um, he pulled up lame in in the game. So Sterling's going to get tested. I don't even know if he's. No, uh, he got torn uh, apart by Bakayoko in the second half as well. Like he did. Well, look Bakay- very good. I, at all. I wouldn't want to see Greg Taylor against Bakayoko either. But um, you know. But is, is he? I don't think he's a left back. I mean, I think he's played mostly as a right center back and a three, or at right back when he when he has played. So, um, so yeah, I, I you would think that that um, he could be gotten at positionally, maybe that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, to, to me, it's it's really a question of um, how we're able to handle their press, and then I worry about midfield. I mean, that's I'm gonna say this over and over again. Um, if they try to outnumber us in midfield and I don't know if Bernardo is going to be fit and ready again, he hasn't played that much in recent uh, time. Um, if it's, you know, Turnbull, uh, O'Reilly and McGregor, uh, and we're playing four, three, three, then, you know, <laughs> that's going to scare me relative to them playing more narrow and just having more bodies. And as much as he's a caricature at times, you know, Cantwell is a talented player and he's able to, as he showed against PSV at times, um, you know, he, he, he can create. Um, so, you know, if we, if, if they've got four against our three, which again, Rogers typically responds to that kind of thing tactically, um, you know, he's not going to surrender the midfield normally, but do we have the bodies? Do we have with the injuries and just the makeup of the, the talent that we have right, uh, right now relative to, you know, some of the size and, um, athleticism that they have in midfield. Is that an area of the pitch that we're going to be able to, um, compete with given the fact that we might be dealing with <laughs> a, a, an issue in building out, you know what I mean? So that, that's, that's the, those are my concerns, but I, we should absolutely be able to give them problems. Um, if we're able, you know, if they don't suffocate us and dominate the midfield, we should be able to build, um, and hit them on the counter, I would think, um, and present real problems for them. But the last thing I'll say is, you know, for the, the benchmarking I had done ahead of time and what I've seen so far, Butlin is at least competent. Like I would say the worst case scenario from a Rangers perspective is that Butlin's competent, um, you know, with maybe some upside, meaning that, uh, you know, his shot stopping may be a little better than competent, theoretically. Uh, whereas, you know, if we're trying to build out from the back, you know, we saw that with their their error um, Wednesday night with with Goldson and, and Butlin, you know, 
uh, as as funny and enjoyable as that was, I would not uh, rule out something similar happening with Hart and Lagerbilk or or Scales. Um, so you know, I, I would say that the keeper matchup, and this is my concern generally for the season, is that right now I think Rangers have a a material advantage in that regard. Um, and in a derby, that could be you know, Butland is a slightly younger Joe Hart. When I say slightly, I mean it's slightly. Like yeah. he, he was like two years, two years younger. Or something. Well, six years. Yeah. Six, six, six years. No, okay, six. So yeah, he's yeah. thirty. It's it's a bit, yeah. So it's he a big I, six years. Yeah, and, and I say he's probably a little bit more athletic, meaning that he's laterally. I'm not saying he's a world beater, but he's you know his ability to come off his line and to move, um, I think is significantly better than than Hart at this point. Um, and you know that that so this is the big problem I have with Hart. Concern, I shouldn't say problem. Concern is that it looks like he might be trying to overcompensate to a degree, meaning that his his uh, God help him. I hope he's not watching the R Dopey show, but um, or hearing about it, um, or or his critics. But you know he's actually been more active coming off of his line in so far this season, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> uh, I would argue, meaning that I you know given his limitations, I don't think he should be trying a lot of. Um, coming off of his line he should be we should just be accepting that as a limitation and trying to optimize on it um so that's you know i i, I just get concerned about how that is all kind of kind of shake out um on sunday in terms of celtic then uh alan alistair johnson is back for this game defensively and offensively what difference can you see that making materially to how Celtic are able to play? I don't want to be that guy again, but again, just a little bit of chatter is that, you know, Johnson's back from injury. You know, he lasted 60 minutes of the week. There's some... Oh there's some Alan, I'm, gonna, I'm banning you, Alan. You know, there, this is enough of this. Ba- there, I, I can't there take might it. be a doubt as to whether he even makes it. I mean, it's just, this is just, it's a nightmare, I know. Um Defensively, for me, the biggest concern is in trying to implement some of the attacking shapes that, that Rogers wants, especially Kyogo coming deep, wanting Turnbull and O'Reilly to get into the box ahead of the striker. You look at all the pass networks from all the games that Celtic have played so far, and you've got this little dot in the middle called Callum McGregor, and you've got enormous great white space around him. right? And we've seen this. We've seen it especially at Aberdeen in transition. You know, he's just, he's either, he's being man-marked, so he's not getting on the ball as much as we'd like. And in transition, you know, if if O'Reilly's bombed on, if Turnbull's bombed on, he's left, you know, like Scott Brown used to be, isolated with the cavalry charging towards him. And one thing that Beal will do, to James's point, is he will pack the middle. You know, against... St. Johnson, I know it's St. Johnson. Celtic's kind of attacking shape was basically Angeball, right? We had five players pressed right up against this, the, the defence. We had the full-backs tucking in a little bit um, and McGregor. Um, you know, but what, what they will do, what, they, what, what, what the Rangers will do is that Cantwell and Raskin and Lundstrom or Jack, whichever one it is, they will not, they will very rarely if ever go beyond the striker. They will always have three in the middle, protecting protecting the two centre backs, uh, because the, the the forwards are supplemented by the two wide players, by the two um, full backs, 
and and it, their strategy, such as it is, is to get the ball to those players and bang cross cross after cross after cross into the box. Um, you know, and we don't have great fullbacks at stopping crosses, uh, really. You know, and especially if it's Rolson and Taylor. You know, they're at that level of athleticism is a concern. So, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a best a patchwork, you know, um, back four. I do we want, I mean, you know, can you think of the last time we threw somebody into one of these games when they've just got off the plane and it's been a rip-roaring success? I mean, Alistair Johnson was pretty competent. At, yeah, he did, he did okay at left back. Rio Hatate. Was he? Yeah, he had, I don't he, know that he was... He he was in. Uh, he played against yeah. Hearts and then he played against Rangers. Yeah. He was been, he'd, goals he'd been Rangers. there since the beginning of January. Yeah, so uh, that was a few weeks after I think he joined. But generally speaking, I'm I'm not sure. Just throwing players in uh, is going to be the best thing to do in any case. So this might be a game where we you know we just we basically go with what we did essentially against St. Johnson and you, know, you might there might be a bit of medicine taking in that regard because I just it's just. There just isn't enough quality in that team. That Rogers has said that. This is not me saying that. This is what Rogers said. There just isn't enough quality in that team. Uh, you know, so until we get players, don't get players up to scratch. What's going to be the worst outcome? We're a point behind them in the at the end of August. Okay, can we live with that? I think we probably can. So again, I'm. I know I'm going to be nervous as I always am. You know, ten minutes before kickoff, but at the moment I'm relatively sanguine because I can't change. You can't suddenly make these players have been in the in the country for for three months training together. I can't make the uh, injured players any less injured. So we just we have to work with what we've got and just hope that some people kind of step up and and just you know pull out a, a great performance. But as I say, James outlined where the stress factors are going to be. I agree with that. I, I do think Rogers will tweak it. I do. Th- I wouldn't even. I, I, maybe he'll even go with a, a kind of four four two type diamond. He might put Maeda and Kyogo up front and, 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 and have a very narrow four in midfield. I, I would not be surprised if he did that because they're not going to be attacking in numbers down the flanks. They do rely on the two fullbacks to give them all their width. The, all the forward players that they've bought, none of them are real. Well, Matondo and Sima probably are, but they, they, they're used for quite narrow, actually. So... Um, that that might be one way to go. I don't know. I'm not saying that what he's going to do. It just might be something that you might consider. But I do think he will stiffen the middle of the pitch. I think he has to. McGregor has been far too isolated, and you know, add that to again what is an obvious regression in his agility and in his speed. That's just you know we have to better protect the middle of the pitch. I think there could be a slight shift to what Brighton do. And what other clubs have done, Liverpool are kind of experimenting at, at, with it at the minute, um, with Trent Alexander-Arnold stepping into centre midfield. But essentially, City have been doing it for a couple of years now as well, and that is playing three centre backs uh, across your defence and <laughs> playing one. We don't have one. No, if, so we, if we have Nat Phillips, we've got um, um, Liam Scales and Lager Bielka. So I think we could see all three of those playing this weekend. And Alistair Johnson can play centre-back as well, by the way. Um, so that could be the back four this weekend, very potentially. I don't see how it couldn't be, potentially. Um, and you could see Celtic alleviating the stress on McGregor by playing um, those three centre-backs across the defence and having that as your system that sort of takes the pressure off 
uh, McGregor being that one man in midfield. I do think it is an issue because they are going to be... Let's hope Alan is one of two things, either a co-conspirator in a misinformation warfare um, uh, venture here, uh, or he's just wrong. (laughs) Well, well, here here is another... Here's here's another solution to the McGregor issue, and again, it, this might sound fanciful, but I I think it's it's something that really do, does need to be considered, and I'm not sure if, if Brendan Rodgers will consider it, considering his his mantra with possession, and it's essentially do what West Ham did to Brighton. So what was Brighton's weakness against West Ham was that uh, Brighton have dominated teams by forcing them to press them and then taking them apart on the transition, West Ham said, okay, you can have the ball then. And West Ham beat them 3-0. If Celtic do that to Rangers, Rangers can't counterattack Celtic there. And that, that weakness of McGregor is not there. So if, if, if Rangers, if Celtic let Rangers have the ball and ask them, okay, let's see what you can do. I, I have full, um, so full confidence I, I, in Celtic being able to hold them out. I'm, I'm in a hundred percent agreement. And I actually think that's our, particularly with the, uh, horrid picture that Alan is painting relative to availability potentially um, is that that would be our best chance at getting a result because, or could be um, because, you know, I did, uh, I ended up not doing a thread on it, but I did do my dopey uh, benchmarking exercise on um, Rangers recruitment window so far. And the one gaping hole and, you know, I, what I do is consistent. So, um, you know, when, when I when I levy certain f- or, uh, question marks or concerns on players that we recruit relative to decision making, I use the same process when looking at any player. Um, and the the one thing that stood out, even with Sufuentes and um, Lammers, I mean, pretty much all of them, is that none of them showed any kind of significant flags for good decision making. Meaning that, you know, the average quality of chances that they create. Danilo is probably the one where he seems to maybe have a little bit of that magic, you know, that that ability to create high quality chances with any kind of volume for, for teammates. And he actually hasn't been playing that much. Um, so uh, the rest of them, and if you've watched them, they've been pretty brutal in the final third. Like decision making. Yeah, they give the ball away a lot. Um, so you know where we do have um a significant talent edge i think in matchups and they all want to play na- sorry james space. and they all want to play yeah. narrow as yeah, well agreed um yeah. so you know if if we bunker a little bit and try to play that way to counter and do what Alan says you know if we do like a f- 532 or you know some some version of um you know narrow defending around the box with with Kyogo and Maeda try to get in behind and maybe spring people wide um, you know, I, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense. And I, this is why I'm saying I'm, I'll be fascinated to see what Rogers comes up with. Does he go with, Hey, I'm trying to build a culture here and change, you know, towards the Rogers way. How much of that, of that is a priority? Um, knowing that a, a loss for Celtic isn't all that big of a deal within the grand scheme of things on, on a, you know, a season long, um, uh, title race, uh, or does he prioritize? Hey, like let's try and get a result in this game because uh, I suspect I agree with you, Enda. That that's the likely path to to optimize um, for us to try and get a result, particularly with what Alan's saying. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm not usually one to actually 
put forward the idea of, of Celtic bunkering. But I mean, given the context of the game, the injuries, the setup of the team, where the team's at at the minute, I think it's the best option to do. And I, I, from what I've seen Rangers, they are not very good on the ball. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong in my opinion with, you know, uh, showing your op- opponents uh, weak parts and letting them almost defeat themselves in many ways. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I think it's also a litmus test to for European football and what Bren Rodgers is going to do there because uh, if he goes balls to the walls for this game, doesn't matter about the injuries, doesn't matter about the context of the game, we're going to go out and play our style of football, then I would say that's likely what he's going to do in Europe as well. And that's that's probably not going to end well as well. So, I mean... Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting derby game to say the least. And, and I mean, in the four European qualifiers that they've played, in each of those games, the opposition, obviously, apart from Servet when they were down to ten men, but the opposition were trying to attack them, and actually they had more success. Actually, so that to me, if you're watching their games, that all points to us playing quite a counter-attacking game, frustrating them because, as, as James said, their forward players, especially. Their technical ability uh, to receive the ball and make a good decision in congested spaces is not good. You know, none, none of the none of their none of their new players are, are look strong in that regard. The ball just does not stick; it just gets turned over very easily. And none of their midfield players really are, 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 are adept at playing great through balls. You know, it doesn't look like that's Fuentes' game. You know, Raskan's good, neat and tidy in the middle of the field when he's got time and space. Cantwell seems more of a Actually, his strengths are more chasing people and, and pressing uh, on the ball. He's, he's he's okay, but again, not necessarily unpicking pack defences. So that, to me, if you watch the, the, and, the, and the XG that they created in Europe, so their forwards, a couple of them, you know, they had a few goals from them. I think that they're, 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 if Celtic came on to them, I think they'd love that. So uh, to me, that all points to, uh, should do anyway, especially given the resource constraints. Maybe when we've got everybody fit, we can go toe to toe. That's fine, but at the moment where we are today, um, it, it probably will pay to be a little bit more canny, a little bit more counter. The other thing I would say is, you know, obviously the no fans and um, you know, there's already a narrative about uh, both managers being under pressure, and you know, I think for a certain element of our support that um, we're not, you know, favorably inclined to Rogers' return, shall we say. Um, you know, I think the knives were going to be out at some point this season, no matter what. And they've certainly got the ammo for that. And again, I'm not judging. Like, I get it. I'm not, you know, that it is what it is. Um, but I think the the, the, the masses, like the, the silent majority of Celtic supporters, I think are, I don't think, you know, there's going to be the normal Derby reaction if it doesn't go well or if we take a hiding or whatever. There's going to be that, uh, you know, um, reflex response but i think generally speaking the moods i mean most supporters i think are understanding that this probably isn't a barn blazing transfer window (laughs) um and that there are some issues with the transition from from ange ball so i don't think rogers is really under much pressure at all and i think beal is like legit i think like the like what i'm i'm saying like the 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 rational level-headed ranger supporters that i typically interact with like they'll probably fly off the handle if it doesn't go well Sunday, and I think reasonably so. Like I, I probably would too. If they if they, and, and, if they lose to Hart, Rolston, Taylor, Scales, they should. I mean, right, God. right. <laughs> I think no. I I think Bill Bill is gone if Celtic win this weekend. I, 
That's, it, it's uh, it's, it's plausible. That's a realistic. It's plausible, but my my point is yeah. more so for just for the game. There's going to be fifty thousand people that are all like on edge, and and have this latent negative energy and anxiety going into it. And if we're able to, James, like, James, able, you, I'm sorry, James. James, are you are you, are you suggesting they might turn ugly? Well, <laughs> it could. I could see it, right? Um, and you know, again, I uh, that's not to say that that's impossible at Celtic either this season. If 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 uh, we don't have uh, you know the kind of season that we're hoping for, but I think they're poised to maybe have that happen acutely. If you know, th- this is why I'm saying us like playing a little bit more conservative and letting them try to come on to us. Because that that they're going to come out strong and fast no matter what, and if we kind of set up to let them shoot their load, so to speak, uh, um, and then because the, the pressure is going to start ramping up, and it's only going to get worse as the game goes on, and that all of this kind of festering uh, anxiety and stuff, I think, could start to manifest, and uh, it could it could get ugly. So that that's that's how I would go about doing it. Let's put it that way. I think the good news for them is that uh, I believe most of their supporters are as level-headed and sanguine as their chairman. So I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs> right. But that, again, let, let's go back to like being r- reasonable about this, right? So if, if the back four is what Alan's been describing, even if we do everything right, right, you know, even if we play well within that context, we still might lose, right? I mean, that, that, they still probably have a material advantage on set pieces. They still, I would argue, probably have the better keeper. They still have, uh, let, let's call it, a positive variance in officiating that tends to go their way, um, particularly in that environment. You know, I, I'm not sure I'd want to give a controversial call to Celtic with 50,000 people screaming at me either. Um, there's, a, there's a normal human aspect of this, even above and beyond other potential issues. So, um, you know, they, they still have a lot going in their direction heading into this, given what looks like the objective um, <laughs> factors. Um, so I, I'm, we're just, I'm just talking about, I think Alan's saying, you know, how do we kind of give us the best chance of getting a result? I, I think given all things, we probably should still be, you know, I, I'd be thrilled with a draw. I mean, I'd be, I'd be doing that. I'd be tap dancing. Draw would be a good result. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to ask for a prediction because I don't think it's fair given no, the this context is not the one, of the team. <laughs> we don't know who's going to be in the door for it. So I'll leave us off this time. Um, finally, before we finish up, um, there is the small matter of the Champions League group. We will do a deep dive on these, I think, but we, we just don't have time to do too much on it there. This uh, in in this podcast, look, it's Feyenoord, it is Atletico Madrid, and it is Lazio. So Feyenoord champions of their divise, Atletico Madrid finished in the top four La Liga, and Lazio were runners up in Serie A, uh, well behind uh, Napoli in the end, but uh, still a, a quite a good team um, overall. In terms of the style of play, I think it's a fantastic test for for Celtic and the players because it's all different. Feyenoord are fast-paced, expansive football under Arnie Slot. Um, he potentially was going to be Tottenham's manager instead of Ange. So, you know, it's that type of on-the-front-foot uh, type of manager that he is. Um, then you have the defensive style of Simeone, who has, you know, garnered this reputation over the last number of years. But I don't by any means expect Atletico Madrid to be 
uh, back to the wall against Celtic the entire time. They will be attacking Celtic as well, but they are very strong defensively. And they do have the um, relatively, relatively speaking, good forward line of uh, Antoine Griezmann, Memphis Depay and Jao Felix. I mean, like they're all right. They're pretty decent. Um, and then Lazio play a really possession obsessive passing obsessive style of play under uh, Maurizio Sarri but it is a better style of Maurizio Sarri football than the Sarri ball that you saw at Chelsea a few years ago Lazio are a very good side as well so I mean Alan is it was always going to be difficult pot four you're going to get three really good teams these are three really good teams three fun places to go bar Lazio because you might get fucking stabbed but um in terms of the football, we're going to get some fun football this summer in Europe. And I, I genuinely think, I, I might be being off the bit, I genuinely there's results there. There are results there for Celtic. Maybe a win somewhere, but I definitely do think there are results there for Celtic at some point. I wish I could share that optimism. Uh, but I don't have the evidence to lead me in that direction as as to where we sit today, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks' time, signings bed in, we start to play more coherently, maybe. But, you know, as Roger said today, if we're playing European football after Christmas, I'll be happy. <laughs> I really, that's it. I, I don't, I've not really looked at these teams in, in, in all honesty. I know the great names of Celtic have got a history with all three of them over the years. Um, but, you know, in terms of their players that they have today, how they're functioning as teams, it's something we need to need to look at but in all honesty this Celtic squad today as we sit here I think we're a million miles away from that Champions League level in all honesty but I'm happy to be to be led more positively uh, forward on that one as, as the team bets in under under Rodgers yeah I'll, uh, James yeah I, I did a thread um, on it and I, I capitalized should <laughs> in everything because this should be a group like if if our strategic plan was progressing as I think we all would have hoped that this would have been the Champions League campaign where we say, okay, let's make material progress. Um, this should be a group that that would be amenable for. And, um, you know, fine order, good. But as I said earlier, they're not one of the more advanced progressive clubs in Europe. They're, they're actually kind of a, a kissing cousin of Celtic in, in a way, meaning that um, – they're operating a very similar model at a similar level, a notch ahead of us. So, you know, I I I had looked at their transfer windows recently. So, uh, last season, twenty twenty, last summers, they bought um, and these names will become familiar in the group. I think uh, Hanko, a center back, twenty five year old from Sparta Prague, eight point three million. This is in euros, by the way. Uh, Timbers, a center mid from Utrecht. He's 22, 7.4 million. Um, Jimenez, a striker from Cruz Azul, 22, 6 million. Paizo is a winger from Curtiba, 23, 4.5 million. And Dil Rosum is a winger from Bertha BSC, 25, 4 million. So those are exactly like that's what Alan and I were talking like that's that's that tier above the one to three million that we're spending a lot on. So the, their volume is at that next tier up, and they had four sales. Uh, Sinistera to Leeds for 25 million, 23 year old. Malassia is a center uh, left back to Man United, 23 at 15 million. Sensasi, a center back to Bournemouth at 15 million. And Arsnes, again, I'm not the linguist that Enda is, to Benfica, 26 year old for 13 million. So if you look at the last two seasons, our net spend 
is actually 2 million. I mean, we, up until now, um, we've spent, I think, 2 million euro equivalents more than what we've brought in in revenue. That's including Jota, by the way. Um, and they've brought in 30 million more than they've spent in the last two, uh, two. Now, again, that's up until through yesterday for this transfer window. So what I, my thread was, this is a good litmus test. Like this is, this is a, their, their turnover is in the ballpark of ours, right? So if we get our doors blown off by Feyenoord, I would find that unacceptable. Like in two ties, like th- this is a club that we should at home at least go to toe to toe with, get a result. Ideally, this is the one that we should win at home, irregardless that they're one, the Netherlands, again, they're probably having a good cycle of talent, right? That's what happens is, you, you, you know, to be able to do that consistently is, is the challenge, but they seem to have a good cycle right now of young players of quality and, and a manager that's, uh, you know, it sounds like doing a good job. Um, so I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying we're going to win at home against them, but that should be the profile uh, of a team that we're able to do that. Uh, Atletico, I write off like they're, you know, there's just a, there's that tier of team talent money they spend. I, I think, um, I don't think they're a good matchup for us stylistically because I think they can rip us apart on the counter <laughs> and they're probably not going to care that much to have possession. I mean, they might and will at times against us, but you know, they show that in La Liga, like they're, they average less than 50% possession as the three, third biggest club. So that tells you, you know, and anyone that's watched them over the years, you, with the manager that, that, that's what they do. I mean, and, and so they, they've actually been playing th- three, five, two, five, three, two with the pie and Griezmann up top and countering. That's horrifying <laughs> to me anyway. So I don't expect anything out of them. Um, Lazio spends a lot of money. I'll actually be the contrarian there. I don't think they're that good. Um, they've got some good talent. They're, they, they tend, you know, they, they, again, they're just not a very well-run club. They dramatically outperformed last year, kind of their underlying metrics in, in Syria. Um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather face them than Inter or AC Milan, for example. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, if we're going to get Big an time. Italian team, yeah. you know, yeah. even independent, like I'd much rather face them than Salzburg or, um, you know, some of the other teams of pot three. So as far as, you know, they, they have like double our turnover and resources, but I don't think they spend it that well. Um, they would be a good team that where if we had a good keeper, a good shot stopper that like we did under Lennon, that we could, I think, get results against them. Um, given where we're at right now, you know, maybe not so much. So I, 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 I agree with Alan generally that I'm not that optimistic, but we should be. That's the problem. Like if we were being better at, at um, talent acquisition and strategic planning and that kind of stuff, this really should be the group that we're targeting, you know, a comfortable third and shooting for, you know, maybe a year down the road, you know, probably a little bit too much this year, but as part of a strategic plan, this would be the kind of group where we could legitimately be competing for a second. No, I, I do agree with that. Like if you look at the pot one, Bayern, Seville, Napoli, Benfica, Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester City, Barcelona, like Feyenoord is one of the clubs that you would have picked out as, yeah, we can, we if we can have any of them, we'll have Feyenoord. And then Pot B, I mean, Man United, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid, Dortmund, Leipzig, Porto. I mean, there's not, there's not, there's not anybody really in that that you would take. You might fancy your chances against Man United because they can be calamitous at times. But um, I think Atletico again, 
not the best of a bad bunch, but close second for the best of the bad bunch out of that. And then Pot C, Pot C, you know, wasn't the strongest. Uh, I would have taken Copenhagen, Zagreb. You probably would have taken Copenhagen, like Braga, um, Shakhtar, Red Star, but it's not Salzburg. It's not. It's not PSV. Lazio are a team that Celtic can get at stylistically, and as a, I mean, we've shown <laughs> Neil Lennon's uh, European record, and um, he managed to get a result uh, away to Lazio a couple of years back. But you know, like well, and they're they're not a know, high, things, things have changed back then. They're, so. they're not a high intensity, high press type side either. Which again, I think. No, they're just a possession team, right? So it's that kind of suits yeah. us, meaning that uh, you know I, I get more concerned about you know um, a team that's going to really put our quality of build out build up um, un, under under pressure. So they're less likely to do that, which again I think is a, would be a favorable matchup. Um, so that that so again to me the swing matchup is Feyenoord because they're our kissing cousin, like that they're, they're a measuring stick for where we're at. Um, and if we, if we compete against them and give it a good go in two games, then I think, you know, that would be a really positive outcome. Um, I'm not saying I'm expecting that it's too early. Like we need to, we need more of the facts. There's going to be time. I think we get to see the fixtures tomorrow, but uh, as far as when we'll play them, but, um, yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting group. The way that the fixtures fall will be probably the winning and losing of that group to be honest like it depends like if you get Atletico Madrid at home as in in Celtic Park um late on in the group and they've already qualified then that's perfect for Celtic because they will just you know they'll play for the draw they won't try and get that extra three points they will go out there and just let you play and not let you win but they they won't try and attack you as much as they they would if they're chasing it i think it's a disaster on the other hand if they get atletico madrid late on and atletico madrid are struggling to qualify and you know they need a win because they that that has potential to be a disaster uh for celtic so it really just depends how the group falls and when what kind of results celtic have on the board um by the time. With, the, with, with the injury situation, I'd almost rather one of either Madrid or Rome out of the way, <laughs> kind of take our lumps um, in one of the first two games um, and, and then hopefully be able to compete better when we get everyone fit and um, kind of the full depth of the squad for for the more favorably inclined uh, of the fixtures. Yeah. Fun game for the ultras anyway, I'll say that, that. That group stage has uh, the potential to be absolute chaos over the course of going to going to Rotterdam, going to Madrid, and going to going to Rome to Lazio. God Almighty! Um, fair play to anybody who wants to be involved in the ultra scene in that, in that group. Um, I think that's where we'll park today's show. Slightly short of the ten hours, but we we did do almost uh, an hour and a half worth of football content here. So. Alan, uh, James, thanks very much for your contributions and thanks to everybody who tunes in every week. If you want to uh, get involved in the show, do leave a comment below in the YouTube channel or drop us a tweet at Huddle Breakdown is the best place to do that. And subscribe to the channel as well if you are not subscribed and you want to get the show every time on YouTube. I should say sometimes some of our shows end up in the live section of the YouTube if you check it out, if we if the show streams, it'll be in the live section. It won't be in the video section. And if it's uploaded, it'll be in the uploaded section and not in the live section. But if you're subscribed and you hit the bell notification, 
none of that will matter because you'll get notified in your Gmail account when an episode is and you can just click the link straight from there. So uh, that is all the plugs that I can I can give before the end of the show. Uh, I have to go and have some dinner with um, a Peter, a Mark and a Dermot. Uh, no relation to Celtic and nothing to do with uh, me being paid to big up the board on this show at all uh, that's where we'll park the show thanks very much everybody and we'll chat to you next week goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.